is a what the geek fuck is. did I say last time, Damien? I swear to God, this is my show. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all that talk about Warhammer 40k got me a little riled up. <laughs> okay, in all, ser- in all seriousness, let's talk about a goofy subject matter. Damien, you are here to talk to us about a comic strip that everyone's probably read but often don't think about. Am I mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And why don't you, well, presumably people who listened to the last episode, they know who y'all are, but just in brief, in case they're not abiding by the show, by the social contract, if you would reintroduce yourself. Sure. I'm Damien Harmony. I am a U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California, and my partner down there is... I am Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher at the middle school level here in Northern California. And together we are, we are actually, we should give credit where credit is due. We are two thirds mm-hmm. of the, of the tripod that is a geek history of time. Producer George is not with us, but, but he is the technical backbone behind the scenes. So yeah, he is alive just to clarify. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> like, did you hear something? Cause you, you said he's not with us and I was like, wait, no, no, no. Right. George, yeah. Okay. Well, he's yeah. not here. <laughs> right. Present. <laughs> You're not. Right now, announcing he's passed on this episode. Anyway, so Damien, what are you here to talk yeah. to us about today? I want to talk to you about The Far Side by Gary Larson, because in 2019, it finally stepped into a digital world. And I thought, my goodness, when that happened, first off, I, like every Gen X person, probably rejoiced, said a hymn of my favorite captions, and then tried to push a door that said pull and put socks on and run around a waxed floor while wolves chased me. The reason <laughs> the reason that it came out, of course, tickled me because that's kind of what we do on our podcast. Look at why things come out when they do and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, I grew up with the far side. I know Ed grew up with the far side, but you mm-hmm. two fellas are significantly younger than us. Did it miss you or did you grow up with it? No, I I grew up with it actually, and I just pulled uh, off the shelf my copy of Bride of the Far Side, which is a you know small collected anthology. Because my parents or my grandparents, to my mom's somewhat chagrin, would buy me comics in bulk from yard sales, like mm-hmm. Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield and Bloom County and Far Side. And I say to her chagrin because she was always on the fence, like I don't know if a nine year old should be reading the Far Side, but. Yeah, which was always, which was always the sign to me that yeah. oh, I need to read more of this stuff. I, right? I, I, I love how her issue was whether a nine-year-old should be reading the Far Side and not should a nine-year-old be reading Bloom County. Like <laughs> in her mind, it was all. So I grew up actually reading a book. I think it's called Hunt for the Last Basilope. Right. Which was a Bloom County, like children's book specifically for kids. And in retrospect, there's references to like cannibalism and stuff in the background. Right. Just like passing things here and there that as an adult, you're like, oh, wait a minute. But as a kid, you're like, "Ah, that's whatever. So like in her mind, oh, that's Opus. That's the penguin. That's fine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Karen, we don't have the time to look closely. Oh, no. (laughs) Steve Dallas is is on a list somewhere. Uh, (laughs) I love how you say a list singular, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Barry, how about you? Like, Did you grow up with the far side? A little bit here and there. I mean, uh, comics in general were were something that I, I came across mostly in the newspaper. And, and so, 
you know, occasionally Farside was amongst the mix here and there. Sure. But more often than not, I always came across Farside as those tiny desk calendars that you peel away. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a generational divide right there because totally. growing up, they were long ways books, essentially. So they were a panel high and lengthwise. And there were several treasuries that were sold that way. But I mean, you know, you got to keep in mind, you know, set set the stage as it were in in newspapers. There's a comic book section and there were other single panel self-contained comics. I'm thinking Marmaduke and Family Circus, but they're Marmaduke and Family Circus. You know, BC and Garfield were kind of on the wane for me at eight years old. The Lockhorns was basically the same. These people abuse each other joke over and over again. <laughs> um, the endlessly. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. you know, Calvin and Hobbes came out and that was amazing for better and for worse was pretty good, but it wasn't particularly funny. It was just kind of endearing. I was, it was like less subversive too. Kathy and Doonesbury were way over my head. Older people would have gotten them and enjoyed them. Ed, I'm sure enjoyed them quite a bit. Oh, <laughs> dude. <laughs> you and, say older. How old were you yeah. when you were reading these comics as a kid, Damien? What year was that? Oh. Well, I would have been, let's see, I was eight. So we're talking 1986. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Right. I was well, 11. I'm not that much older than you. <laughs> and yeah, I, I wouldn't until be until you were born. Uh, two years. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I saw a gray hair appear. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, I feel vindicated. So I think, I think we can all, we can all agree though, that Mark Traylon and Sally Forth or Sally Worth can catch these hands, but yeah. <laughs> you know what they did, but <laughs> The far side was this self-contained little box of surrealist, timeless, fairly elegant uh, absurdity. And and then it came back when I turned 42. And of course, I start looking at why, because when it first came out, it was January of 1980. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this makes sense. So <laughs> to, to talk about the far side, yes. For, for anybody who's, who's not the kind of dork that listens to our podcast on a regular basis, just like very briefly why would it be obvious that the that the, the far side would have come out in 1980 oh because we were walking into an unreal hellscape of po politics and life and you know sometimes i thought you were going to say something really optimistic oh no dang no i, no. I thought you were going to say it was a oh, no. uh, cocaine induced fever dream but okay yeah no no there's that, that too was the self-medication I mean, that yeah. was required I mean, that is the case if it was in Miami specifically. Right, yes. right. Actually, we did an episode on why smuggling was so important in sci-fi in the 70s and 80s. When, so. <laughs> when, oh, I was about to reference a product, a property that I can't because we're not talking about truck work. But mm. we'll say that in science fiction, whenever someone is running a an ingredient, That's it's probably a stand in for cocaine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Quite Maybe so. pot. Maybe pot, maybe but probably pot. cocaine, but yeah. <laughs> large <laughs> bales of co uh, of pot. But yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in, in all honesty, like with any story that starts in 1980, we obviously have to go back to French symbolist playwright Alfred Jerry, born in 1873. Obviously. Um, yeah, like you do. He was born in a small southwestern town in France. His father was an alcoholic salesman. His mother loved literature and music, but she had a genetic predisposition toward insanity. Hold on a minute. Does that mean that his father was an alcoholic and a salesman or that he sold alcoholics? 
Probably both. You sell okay. to your friends, you know. It's fair point. If it was an MLM, then yes, both. Yeah. Yo, there you go, yeah. <laughs> Which I assume it's all perfect. salesmen in the 1870s France were part of MLMs. Like, yeah. I just, yeah. Amway without the corporate responsibility. <laughs> nice callback. Nicely well done. done. So Alfred was decent at school, and when he was 15, he co-wrote his first play with a classmate, and they used it to poke fun at their obese physics teacher, whom they considered a dimwit. And I just love that in the 1880s, you have physics teachers. Kind of cool, because they still thought that air contained ether until 1927. So, Well, just because they were wrong. Yeah. 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 They didn't know what they didn't know, you know, to to quote the, the great prophet Donald Rumsfeld. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> As a bit of a signal to what he would do, they they performed the play at a friend's house using marionettes. And the marionette for, I'm going to butcher his last name, Hebert, spelled Herbert, their physics Hair-bear. teacher. Herbert. The marionette was round. It had three teeth. It had a retractable ear and other features that would come to manifest in his most famous character later. But he, he does poetry and stuff like that. His parents die. And Alfred quickly spends up his inheritance, marries the best of both family predilections, becoming an alcoholic with questionable sanity. Everyone needs a hobby. Exactly. And he took up two. So, mm-hmm. and like most French alcoholics under five feet tall, he was drafted into the army and he was excused from drill because he couldn't fit into even the smallest uniform. It was pretty funny by all recollections. <laughs> I mean, I feel like as a short (laughs) guy, I feel like you buried the lead here. He was under five feet tall. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the similarity. Under five feet feet tall, not a great grip on reality, an Mm -hmm. alcoholic and plays with puppets. This is like, I'd like to know him. This is, (laughs) you know, that draft form was like, this man will stop a bullet. It may be only the one, but right. If they fire low. Yeah. 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 If they shoot low. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, he gets excused. Just picture like a really his life is like a really sad version of Moulin Rouge. And remember, she dies of TB. (laughs) So eventually he ends up writing his most important play, which is really what's what I'm aiming you at to explain the far side. More than 80 years later, he writes Ubu Roy. And in Ubu Roy, there's this fat, false toothed, grotesque character of a king who's a parody of Macbeth. His wife convinces him to start a revolution in Poland and overthrow the king. So he, they do this, and he becomes the king of Poland. But he so heavily taxes the people and throws out all the civil servants that he's the only one that can collect the taxes from the people. And then his henchman goes off and starts a fight with the Tsar of Russia, who then declares war on Uberoy and Poland. And so he rides out to face the Russians, and his wife loots the treasury and runs off. He gets beat by the Russians, shockingly. His followers all die, and he gets attacked by a bear. So, kind of a biblical thing. His Ezekiel calls in the bear because okay, the mm-hmm. of his bald. Yes. Okay, I was yeah. like, I six don't a remember. bear on disrespectful yeah. young and children. I was going to yeah. say I don't recall a plague of bears, but that's that must be a very different version of the book of uh, Genesis or yeah. Exodus. Excuse me. <laughs> Exodus. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's what we call Tuesday night at the anyway. <laughs> See, I knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm nothing if not reliable. So. <laughs> At some point, he knocks down his attackers with the body of the bear that attacked him, and he and his wife flee to France. 
and <laughs> you can throw a bear at someone. There's I a know. skill. <laughs> I know. Bear hurling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's notorious for his infantile engagement with his world. He he inhabits this domain of greedy self-gratification. He is Jerry's metaphor for the modern man. And he's an anti-hero, obviously, right? He's, he's fat, he's ugly, he's vulgar, he's gluttonous, he's grandiose, he's dishonest, he's stupid, jejun, voracious, greedy, cruel, cowardly, and evil. And honestly, if you've ever seen Hamlet 2, you kind of get the same feel for this play. It's cheap and tawdry without mm-hmm. realizing why it's obscene. So I, has anybody here besides me seen Hamlet 2? I didn't know that was a thing. I was just going to go along with it, but okay. Oh my God. The the musical, just look up the musical number for Rock Me Sexy Jesus. It's it's a beautiful thing. My search history, but okay, I'll take your word for it. Do it at work. It'll be, it'll be protected. A robust VPN oh, okay. before Googling that one. So the play opens and uh-huh. closes on the same night because when the play ended, a riot broke out. Which we can only hope to create such art. Sure. Um, this is 1896 in, in France. And well, I mean, okay, you know, the same thing. France. They just they'll, yeah. they'll riot. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, one, one, true. they're they're like wishing a motherfucker would first off, and and number two, this is a time period when you know art shows, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when the when the expressionists, not the impressionists, but the expressionists had their first gallery viewing. There were fistfights in the street, like, yes. you know, I was going to say. This is this is twenty years before the the crusty bastards who started World War One yeah. were in charge. So they were young and crusty instead of old yeah. and crusty. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. futurists before the futurists. You know, yeah, actually pretty close. Like within fifteen years of the futurists. So they outlawed his play afterwards, and he then moved it to being a puppet show because somehow that gets around the law. Well, just, okay, because I that's mean, because the Weird Al show filled the educational time slot for. The yeah. network that they were broadcasting yeah. on, so you know, like yeah, yeah, ketchup um, is a vegetable. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the the pre animation version of animation ghetto. Yes, well, you know, it's a kids show, so like, who cares? I think yeah. the yeah. maybe you guys covered it on your episode because we didn't on ours, but or did we? I can't remember. I just happen to remember GI Joe was rebroadcast or syndicated mm-hmm. um, yeah. because it was considered historical at that point and. Um, filled one of their educational time slots. I wow. don't remember uh, that point coming up on our that podcast. That wasn't ours. That had to be yeah, no, it's been ours. The fun, one fun thing fact, I missed. Barry, fun fact about that, Barry. Uh, actually, after we aired that episode, Damien texted me. He was like, you sons of bitches scooped me. <laughs> <laughs> like, we already recorded it or we were going to record it. Yeah. And then that pops up. And I'm like, you, mu- Barry? I hacked into your mainframe. Yeah. Oh, look at you. You're like <laughs> a regular Zero. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Very deep. One of the reasons you got to take a look at why this might have caused a riot was because it's 1896. Europe is ruled by Queen Victoria, Tsar Nicholas, Wilhelm II, Franz Joseph. Felix Faure is the French president, and he's the only one who's not a hereditary title. And he had no fewer than six prime ministers over the next four years. And he, he was elected because he was bland. So immediately he had a scandalous love affair. He entered into the Franco-Russian alliance and made terrible choices during the Dreyfus affair. And he died of apoplexy in 1899, possibly while being mistressed in in flagranto. So, wait, he got the carotene mm-hmm. treatment? Pause. No, no, because it was not as auto erotic okay. as it was. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so of course, that's that's that. But a pin a pin in that and tell you about Gary Larson growing up. He was born in 1950. 
in Tacoma, Washington. I will circle back around to Alfred Jerry. Don't worry. Both of Larson's parents worked. They were lower, lower middle class lifestyle from everything I could find. He did go to college. He got a bachelor's degree in communications. So, you know, obviously he wasted his career in college. Um, it is the major for people who don't want to stop day drinking. I, I got to say, until I met you guys, to be honest, I always kind of looked down my nose at communications. And then, like, I saw what you're doing. I'm like, oh. No, yeah, no. I'm being stupid. <laughs> Don't stop on my behalf. Yeah, I, I still haven't found a good reason to like us. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the youngest of two brothers. His older brother would scare him every chance he got because that's brothers in the 50s. His older brother, Dan, would also, though, help him catch all manner of fauna in the backwoods and help him build a terraria to keep them in. So he's in suburban Tacoma through the Eisenhower and Kennedy years as a youth that would have been putting him right in the middle of, oh my God, the world could blow up at any minute. Nuclear threat of Russia, nuclear threat of China. And even if he didn't have the context for it, it would have been the water in which he swam. Similar to mm -hmm. Ed's mom having nightmares about the Reds. There's just yeah. this over, overarching cultural anxiety. And I think a lot of his later artwork absolutely belied that influence, even though he ascribed it to his older brother's shittiness and kindness. But I say, why not both? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to get to Gary Larson, of course, we have to get to the French playwrights, which is, of course, why I had to start with French puppetry. And so that's Albert Camus for you. And probably a little bit about Jean-Paul Sartre, speaking of four foot nine alcoholics. And <laughs> hopefully I'll traipse you through <laughs> Eugene Ionesco's backyard as well. So... Albert Camus was a French philosopher who wrote an essay in 1942 titled The Myth of Sisyphus. This is the, 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 the gist of it is essentially that Sisyphus, as we know, is the guy who's cursed to roll the boulder up the hill and it always falls down. Either it falls over the other side or it falls back, right? It's that stupid carnival game, but mm -hmm. it's instituted by Zeus in the underworld. And so it's classy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well done. So Camus said that Sisyphus must have been happy at the moment that he came back to the stone that was at the bottom of the hill and started pushing it again. Because at that point, Sisyphus would have understood the pointlessness of it all, would have understood how absurd it is. And at that moment, you get to be happy. I've got a quote here. It says, quote, the workman of today works every day in his point uh, of, of his life at the same tasks. And this fate is no less absurd, but it is tragic only at the rare moment when it becomes conscious. And so he's looking at the thoughts of Sisyphus himself. And he says, it is during that return, that pause that Sisyphus interests me. A face that toils so close to stones is already stone itself. I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step toward the torment of which he will never know the end. And when Sisyphus realizes how stupid all of this is and how certain his fate is, he's truly free to embrace the absurdity of it all. And once he does that, there's a contentedness here. And Camus said that's his moment of ha happiness. I find it interesting that mm -hmm. this is the same guy who wrote the play No Exit, mm -hmm. which, is, which is the codification in drama form of of the maxim that and I and I quote hell is other people, yeah. Mm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a Marxist who wasn't a Marxist who, like, 
was <laughs> in French Algeria being a communist and he worked against other communist parties and he really he was expelled from a communist party for not being Stalinist enough. And so he's really distrustful of bureaucracy and he's really interested in human dignity. And I think that that really kind of drives him toward toward that. I can imagine the leftists who hated fascism seeing his own country as an imperial oppressor and suddenly mm -hmm. and quickly overrun with meth addled super fascists would look around and go, yeah, none of this means anything <laughs> like what is even the point? Yeah, that makes For sense. Sure. Meth mm -hmm. um, super fascists. I just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you had the orcs. I have the meth addled super fascists. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Just spelled and differently. Yeah, the orcs exactly. are more charming. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. much <laughs> more endearing. Yeah. yeah, they know they're the bad guys. They don't have that Fritz moment. So, are we the baddies? Mm -hmm. So Camus actually also looks at the idea of suicide as a necessary reaction to to absurdity. If life is so absurd and meaningless, does that realization require suicide? And he says, actually, maybe. And the idea that we live based on our hope is it means that we want tomorrow to come. But the problem with tomorrow is that that's one day closer to death. So suicide is how we live. My man, this is getting real grim. Where are we going with this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, far side, we right? just, yeah, we oh, just yeah, finished talking yeah. about like space authoritarian fascists and, <laughs> yeah. and all consuming, yeah. you know, impending doom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we going from here, my guy? <laughs> okay, so Camus basically says there are three consequences for from fully acknowledging the absurd. Suicide is not the solution. So he says, look, you need to revolt, you need freedom, and you need passion. So you don't accept it. You embrace it and recognize there's no hope uh, worth having, which I actually like. And the passion, given this freedom and this revolt, it's not about living best, about, but it's about living most. And what I like about living without hope is that it, it carries with it a moral message that Sartre takes that ball and runs with. And the, the moral message is if you're hoping, that means you're hoping that someone else steps in and intercedes on some level. Hmm. If you live without hope, you got to do it yourself. I, hmm. I like that kind of grim optimism, and I actually okay. do think it's optimistic. But yeah, he also said that Dostoevsky and Kafka were too hopeful. So... <laughs> Really? Yeah. Afka. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. That's like saying, you know who was a real ray of sunshine? Tolstoy. <laughs> that guy was just too cheery for me. You know? Just... You know who was a real party animal? The Gautama Buddha. Right. Like, yes. you know, all existence is suffering. Well, you know. Yeah. Oh, another jello shot? Yeah. Mary, <laughs> Mary Shelley was a real manic pixie dream girl. That's, yeah. <laughs> Christ alive. All right. So, he is what Ben Shapiro wishes he could be. Uh, talented? Is that, yeah, that too. Yeah. Relevant. Yes. So that brings us to Sartre. And like I said, Sartre, I mean, Sartre lived through Vichy France. Actually, Camus was actually pretty critical of him. And Sartre will get you to Ionesco. So Sartre writes, be, writes being in nothingness. It's like over 600 pages and it's incredibly dense. I dare you to read it. But he also, he wrote... <laughs> He, he, he basically said, look, you, you have to, and he's, he's spending his time as a POW. He says, you, you have to essentially make choices and, and there is nothing that's going to help you in this world. He says, there's abandonment, there's anguish, and there's despair. 
And that is what you need to act with. And that is essentially the banner bearer of existentialism, right? And and so he says, life is a struggle to give your life meaning. So you've got Camus, you've got Jerry, you've got Camus, you've got Sartre, but meaning itself is man-made. So in order to make your meaning, you must act as though you're legislating for all of humanity. And Sartre famously said, quote, in fashioning myself, I fashion man, right? Now, Camus, again, was critical of him. He said he was a writer who resisted. He was not a resistance guy who was a writer or, or who wrote. So he kind of flipped it on him. Not but like essentially, Orwell, who said, if we all kill one fascist, then we solve the problem. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but he's it, and, and his thing was like, if you it, it's kind of more you are the problem if you go along with any single fascist like mm -hmm. he, you know, and he said, look, French polite society absolutely helped evil this way. Mm. So he he's I. If you watch a certain trilogy backward that is being struck right now, if you watch it where it is the bane of the fellow's existence, you have the, the, the theme of abandonment. If you have it where some joker is, is bothering him, you have anguish. And if you have something where he gets scared of crows, you have despair. If you watch them in that order, you get what Sartre is saying. Um, essentially, you're alone with your choice. The moment you realize that you're choosing for everyone, is going to lead to the gravity of your decision. And of course, your choices will in fact make humanity. So you'd better get it right. There's your anguish. And if you accept all that, you're truly free. So that's, that's the fun stuff that takes us through the 1950s into Ionesco's absurdism. Ionesco was trying to learn English. He's a, he's a Romanian playwright. He's trying to learn English. And he he studies these terms like the, this. The, the approach to learning English at the time was if you just listen to it and you say it, the floor is below you. The ceiling is above you. The pen is on the table. He says you're not really learning English, but you're learning English and you're saying things that are absolutely true, but they have no bearing whatsoever on your life at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so by that approach, he said, see, there's the problem. Language, according to Ionesco, through a reading of, of The Bald Soprano, which is his, one of his most famous plays, is a series of meaningless sounds to which we attach meaning by way of agreed upon truisms, none of which make any sense. So the ceiling is above me. My, my son famously inspired a comedian friend of mine by, they asked him at a barbecue once when he was much younger, says, hey, William, how you doing? He says, oh, my bones are in my body. Um, and my comedian friend was stoned at the time. I didn't know that. Uh, and he got real philosophical about it. He's like, man, my bones are in my body. And <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, you thought Plato's cave was screwed up. I mean, <laughs> it's imagine the talk balloons and the shadow shadows of that allegory, you know, I don't know how to deal with that sober. Yeah, kid. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You, you want more barbecue? So in Ionesco's bald soprano, we're all just repeating sounds that we've agreed have meaning. Right. And through that, the meaning happens. But if you actually look at it, there's no meaning. And then you apply that to politics between countries. And it's in the 50s where nuclear prolifer proliferation is the thing. He lives in a country that will absolutely be destroyed in order to keep it safe by two people who are trying to keep it safe by threatening to destroy it. That perspective on words and meanings is communication studies in a nutshell. Basically, if you yeah. understand that, you have a degree. 
<laughs> that's so much easier than what I did. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Once again, I've done everything the hardest way possible and the least profitably. So language is therefore absurd. Political language, doubly absurd. And thus the only thing that one can really do is to point out the absurdity of it all. In a world where common sense and human survival is in direct contravention to official policies, the authority of those in charge is an absurd thing, as is our acquiescence to it. And we have to hope that the people in charge don't make any sense and that they actually want to live because the most rational thing will kill us, right? Prisoner's dilemma. Sure. Yeah. So that's that's what, you know, Gary Larson's growing up in. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, he is. Yeah. He's coming up. So, you know, humanity, therefore, has become the puppets speaking lines that aren't ours and to people who aren't listening. So, you know, it's, it's all podcasts all the way down. So, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Ionesco also hated Sartre, but he didn't really like Camus either. There's just a whole lot of like pettiness that goes on between them. So, Circular firing squad kind of yeah, stuff. Right. <laughs> So essentially, Gary Larson comes up at a time where you're going to die. Rationality won't save you. Political action won't save you. But you can go out as authentically as you can is kind of the best that we can do for you, kid. And so then he's he's reading Mad Magazine growing wow. up and, <laughs> and Mad Magazine. Exactly. That'll totally do it. Yeah. But if you don't have Alfred Jerry, Albert Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre and Eugene Ionesco, I don't know if you have Mad Magazine being as subversive as it can be. And he grew up reading all of that. Mm -hmm. So the fact that America, this great arsenal of democracy had previously carved away from an empire and it was now propping empires up in the, in the name of democracy and it was fighting fascism one minute and then giving money to it the next. That's a pretty absurd life to live. And mm -hmm. Mad Magazine was like thumbing it in the eye and just being like, hey, hey, you do that. Like there's a lot of political satire in Mad Magazine. And Gary absolutely read Mad Magazine. And and Tom Hayden himself, the activist from the 60s, said my own radical journey began with Mad Magazine. So <laughs> th that's in the soup. By the time he's 13, JFK gets shot on TV. His killer gets shot on TV a few days later. There were air raid drills on the regular, the duck and cover drills, where somehow your desk and your knees are going to protect you from the mutation that you see in movies and the impact of radiation, as well as all the horror monsters that there were. I don't think it's a far stretch to think that those desks in the 60s to the 80s had an unreasonable amount of lead in them. You so. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remembering my own experience in high school, I, I can, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> could be, yeah. <laughs> so by the time Gary Larson gets to college, the world is at once scarier and less scary, scary. Like it's become kind of the background. It's become background menace. The fear of annihilation is just background menace now. Mm. But, you know, it's like you make friends with it, to quote Colonel Kurtz. And so while he's trying to find work, he starts cartooning and he starts selling his single frame cartoons to a local magazine in Seattle. And that's what starts his syndication. From there, he sells to the San Francisco Chronicle. And the, the first Far Side cartoon was in January of 1980. And from then on, it exploded. Now, I, I have some stats. 14% of his comics have wild animals in them. There's the growing up in Tacoma stuff. Okay. 12% just have dogs, specifically, which sounds very suburban. 10% mm -hmm. have scientists. 
just under 8% have bugs, another 8% have snakes, another 8% have prehistoric creatures. Is it only 10% have scientists? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The most rational beings in the world. He spends one out of every 10 cartoons talking about that. That's a high percentage. So mm-hmm. j- just a minute ago, I flipped open the Brad of the Farside book that I have, mm-hmm. and I just to a random page, and I saw one of, it was a picture of a bunch of doctors pointing and laughing at a patient, and the caption was, doctors testing if laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and, and, and that's just <laughs> when you said like, yeah, you know, life is meaningless. The best we can hope for is a, a death with some degree of authenticity. And I thought, no, mm-hmm. that's it. That's yeah, it. That's there. That's really? Yeah. 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 Uh, 6% <laughs> oddly deal with the wild or with the old West. But again, if you look at what he was watching when he was a kid, I mean, right? he'd grown up on gun smoke. So yeah. of course he's going to, yeah. And the 6% rifling. deal with yeah. hell, hmm. which yeah. Okay. Yeah. And only 6% deal with cows, which, in my memory, they are much more represented. Cow mm-hmm. tools. Yeah. The the cover of this book, Brad of the Far Side, is a mad scientist cow with mm-hmm. a Frankenstein's wife cow nice. on, the, <laughs> on the board. Yeah. 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 There you go. So Gary Larson's The Far Side has been analyzed as satire in the past, and, and it's definitely satire, right? It's verbal satire. It's visual satire. It's an inversion of your accepted realities. It's a send up of the agreed upon conventions and realities that we cling to, like the marionette would cling to his strings to give it life. In many ways, though, in single panel form, it is Ionesco's efforts at Theater of the Absurd mixing with Rod Serling's morality plays that he would do in The Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. So the far side does with fewer words and a single panel what everyone else was trying to do and it's it's brilliant i mean it is always self-contained in that box right on occasion it has frames within it including my very favorite one where a man is standing there a ufo lands something climbs out punches him gets back in and flies off and it just says (laughs) harry never knew what hit him which which is it 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 also like this had a huge cultural impact because it is so very different from like the Mm -hmm. other kinds of humor like like a garfield right or something along those lines or uh, a foxtrot or anything else a family circus marmaduke by you know light years away from that but even in terms of other smart humor that we might think of like calvin and Hobbes or bloom county it it's still like it's still far and away not better but different it scratches a very different itch it Um, is it is it is self-consciously surrealist. Yes. Yeah. It's and like it, if Salvador Dali were winking at the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he always it's, was, but yeah. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's the I mean, Wilhelm literally scream. winking, but yes, yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the Wilhelm scream of comics. <laughs> yeah. it, it is shorthand for we know how ridiculous this is. Mm-hmm. Stepping mm-hmm. out and going, it's just a movie, right? Well, think about what he's doing and what's going on when he starts doing it. A B-lister from Hollywood who'd become governor for two terms, who'd narrowly lost primary against Gerald Ford in 1976, was now starting to show signs that he'd get the nod as the Republican nominee in 1979. And when you say it like that, without mentioning the fellow, it really sounds pretty ridiculous and absurd. (laughs) Because we're not talking about Jesse the Body Ventura or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Right. 
no, no. You you see what you see what you've done? <laughs> like, we're, we're talking we're talking about Dutch himself, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and January of 1980, like things didn't quite feel real. Like the world was in a state of flux. The deadliest threat to humanity was just now part of the background scenery to it. You know, and and the far side was about life in a way that wasn't quite real. First mm-hmm. off, just the name of it, the far side, right? And you have this juxtaposition between the orderliness of the captions, which serves as our, our how do you pronounce the name of the psychopomp on the river, river Styx? I always called him Karen. I, I thought it was Sharon. Sharon. Yeah, well, it depends on, on how classical you want to be. It's either Sharon yeah. or Karen. Yeah. I got I so into him wearing Lululemons and telling Aeneas that he can't play at this park because he doesn't have a reservation <laughs> that I always called him Karen. It's the river. It's, it's the, it's the ferrier of the river sticks, but with that like asymmetrical, like yeah, the Bob, Bob right hair, hairdo, the Bob yeah. haircut, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Excuse me. You're too heavy to be on this boat. Okay. Do you have a ticket? Do you have a ticket? You know? <laughs> that, so, that, rem- that reminds me, a buddy of mine it, has this has this idea for a short story and uh, about the the ferryman on the river sticks, and he's got a problem because he uses that time to practice his stand up comedy. But there's someone who's made multiple <laughs> trips and he doesn't know what to do with a repeat audience. <laughs> it's, a, excuse it's a real me, problem. Excuse me. Do, do you do you have a coin over over either eyelid? You need <laughs> to have right. two coins. Did your parents bury you properly? No. Yes. Then you need to stand over here in the improperly buried section. Let me yes. see that coin. It looks like it's <laughs> right. wooden. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's going to start calling Hades and be like, they're having a picnic out here on the shores. <laughs> so oh, it, it's, it's, so you've got this caption, which acts as our psychopomp guiding us from the real shore to the unreal far side of the river sticks. And the image is the real unreal underworld in which we're now being transported, and it makes for a quirky kind of humor. As we know, Ronald Reagan did, in fact, become president, the media man himself, and he got the vote of a majority of evangelicals while running against an actual evangelical who actually walked the walk. He was called the great communicator, even though he rarely said anything of substance. He spoke in comfortable slogans, using this the language to say nothing, but seem substantive. And if you want, I've got quotes from his inauguration speech that we can dissect, or we could do that off air. But nothing that he said had much substance. And, and inauguration speeches don't always have to, but for everybody mm-hmm. to give him the credit that they give him for communicating so well, it's... It's he was a nothing burger. He was. He was. I, yeah. I wouldn't even say he was an empty vessel, though, because he was a collection of slogans. And he did this forever during his term. He was very much comforting and very little substance. In fact, Carter got dragged for actually speaking truth to what was going on. You know, they call it the Great Malay mm-hmm. speech that that was never uttered. But yeah, he actually yeah. said the strength of our, the, the strength of the, the 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 state of the union is weak. Yeah. And then he said other stuff, but he was speaking substance. And after that, never, never do that again. No, can't have that. (laughs) No. Oh, God, no. A man who was so concerned about conflicts of interest that he divested from a peanut farm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) it's, it's just, it's, you know what it is? It's kayfabe. There we are. We are at what? What is this? This is the like thirty-two <laughs> minute mark, somewhere around there, right? Yeah. Forty minute yeah. mark. Yeah. 
Apparently. He got it in. He got it yeah. in. Yeah. All right. But yeah. It's it's all play acting, and Larson's kind of calling that out. Like it doesn't matter what's actually said or done. It just matters that it sounds like it makes sense. Here's an image. Here's a caption to push it out as far into juxtaposition as possible, and then grossly overstate its absurdity. And then you know, for instance, you you know the one of all the vultures around a corpse, and one of them is wearing a hat, and it says, "Hey, look at me, everybody. I'm a cowboy. Howdy, howdy, howdy." Toy Story. Grim. Yeah, that's incredibly dark. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but like, but he's he's doing so many things in just that tiny little caption. Mm-hmm. And like, wow. Because of course, for the vultures, this would be a buffet. This yeah. would be a wonderful day. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> it just <laughs> Yeah, no, that that is pretty particularly well also going back to like the laughter is medicine thing right that's that's a person who might be dying (laughs) their appendix has burst they only (laughs) seem to feel better now yeah we can try chemo or we can mock him like what are we what are we we gonna do yeah (laughs) right so the world is edging closer and closer to nuclear holocaust at the time that we have this great community communicator who is talking us closer and closer to holocaust and everybody feels safer because it's his hand on the switch just to give you an idea he actually didn't start thinking about cybersecurity until he watched war games like you have a president who is viewing the world as a movie because he was a movie actor mm-hmm. like could you imagine something like that so of course gary larson comes across comes out in 1980 and he pretty much closes with the end of the reagan era as well and all of this at the same time that Americans are believing in their own exceptionality even more and more and more. Like you can watch the bar graph go straight up as it goes straight down with like GDP and union power and purchasing power and stuff like that. So he cartoons for that whole time and then he quits. And for the longest time, he actually he he explains that he essentially stopped drawing because it was hurting his hand. And then he bought a tablet and then he started drawing again. And he said, that's that's why. And then there's actually an open letter that he wrote. And he said, quote, years ago, when I started slowly, slowly started realizing I had a second publisher and distributor of my work known as anyone with a scanner and associates, I did find it unsettling enough to write an open letter to whom it may concern, explaining best as I could why I preferred that the people doing this would kindly refrain. And I can only imagine how absurd that must feel as an artist. Like, oh, my God, you love my art so much that you're taking money out of my my pocket. My pocket. You're stealing yeah. food out of the mouths of my children. Yes. Yeah. But at the same time, you're spreading my art. So, like, I feel bad telling you don't do that. But, you know, a yeah, lot of folks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of us. And so, quote, my change of heart on this has been due not only to some evolution of my own thinking, but also in two areas I've always cared about when it comes to this computer internet stuff, security and graphics. Trying to exert some control over my cartoons has always been an uphill slog, and I've sometimes wondered if my absence from the web may have inadvertently fueled someone's belief that my cartoons were up for grabs. They are not. But it's always been inherently awkward to chase down far-side festooned websites when the person behind it is often just simply a fan. And so that's the reason that he gives for why he's back. It's just really weird to me that he comes back in 2019. Tablets have been around for a bit longer. People have been ripping his stuff off. But there was an Uber Roy Festival in 2017 in New York. 
there hmm. was another type of president that we had in 2019 who was maybe going up for another election who was a TV personality, had been in a number of movies, watched the world through the lens of television, and was just, in many ways, Ronald Reagan turned way up when it comes to bombast and things like that and turned way down when it comes to ethics. And without the charisma, which is saying something. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, legitimately, yeah. I would like to propose an amendment where we cannot vote into office someone who has been Stone Cold Stunnered. <laughs> I I would I would 110 uh, percent go with that. I just, agree yeah. because because yeah. Kane has also been stone cold stunnered, and whatever we could gain from other people stopping him as being the mayor of his county in in Tennessee, mm -hmm. stopping him there is probably a wise move. I would Flips agree. out of that, <laughs> receiving the people's elbow is how we declare our nominees. I'm I'm okay with that too. If they survive I can, yeah, that, okay. All right. If they survive yeah. that, then that then clearly they're in physical enough shape to to do the job. Yeah. Yeah, Mitch absolutely. McConnell would not be able to handle that would that would be <laughs> that would be that'd be turtle abuse. Yeah. <laughs> the humane society would need to would need to get in on that. That would yeah. So we went from a media-based white older man who made angry people feel justified to a media-based man who made white older people feel justified and and i mean honestly if you look at it it very much parallels we went from a slogan speaker to a slogan speaker a guy who used tough guy rhetoric to a guy who used tough guy rhetoric neither one knew how to actually make things work um and thought that just by force of personality and the bully pulpit approach to rhetoric that they could affect the change that their base claimed to want regardless of how much it hurt the base both are huge friends to the ultra rich. Both pretended to be the image that they're most seen as tough and rich. And both literally were the opposite of what they professed to be. Reagan never passed a single balanced budget, despite being an alleged fiscal conservative. Trump couldn't figure out which way a Bible went in his hand after gassing people out <laughs> of a park and posing in front of an unwilling Episcopal church. Yeah. Let's both refer to a book as two Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> These two Corinthians walk into a bar. <laughs> Both essentially did their due diligence when it came to harming marginalized folks, either by ignoring them, as Reagan did with the AIDS crisis, and by cutting taxes to stop it from going to the poors, or by repossessing the rights that were finally given to folks, instituting travel bans and separating over 70,000 children from their parents, and of course, refusing to act at a time that the world w was really needing America to step up when it came to a, a worldwide pandemic. And then he, of course, encouraged actual violence. He validated Nazis, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes sense to me that Gary Larson came back in 2019. If we were yeah. living in absurd times in 1980, and we absolutely were, I don't well, know what the were, new word. Yeah. yeah, well. <laughs> so... The sad thing is you don't know what it was like before that. And and frankly, yeah. neither do I, because I wasn't quite conscious by that point. But Ed, he remembers. I think it was <laughs> middle school for him. But <laughs> sometimes. Now, if you want, you know, basically subversive absurdism through Gary Larson's cartoons is a way to try to live more authentically in times that rely on our inability to actually be authentic. And I've got a bit that I could go into on semiotics and stuff like that, or I could stop here with a quote by Baudrillard, whose um, name I can't... Baudrillard? Baudrillard? Yeah, him. Baudrillard. That. 
as Ed has pointed out, for a Latinist, I'm <laughs> terrible at at any Latin-based language names. I don't think that was a matter of Latin. You put letters in the wrong place. But oh. <laughs> B-A-U-D, baud. It's a 2400 baud modem. Baudriar. You said Baudriar. You, said <laughs> you did. Okay. Fair. He, he's right. Uh, you did. I, okay. I, you know, I wasn't going to say anything. I but thought you might sure. be making a testicle joke in semiotics and, you know, no. <laughs> some sort of connection to the to to the Gulf War and the war that didn't happen. Maybe the nut that wasn't. But I don't know. Like, no, there's a vast right. deference of what I was trying to do. Like, boo. Oh, boo. <laughs> he says the end of history is, alas, also the end of the dustbins of history. There are no longer any dustbins for disposing of old ideologies, old regimes and old values. Where are we going to throw Marxism, which actually invented the dustbins of history? Yet there is some justice here since the very people who, invest, who invented them have fallen in. Conclusion. If there are no more dustbins of history, this is because history itself has become a dustbin. It has become its own dustbin, just as the planet itself is becoming its own dustbin. So, nothing has any meaning. We're all play-acting the meaning out, being led by a president that was playing at being president, and that's what called forth the great Gary Larson twice in my lifetime. I, I, you know, all the joking aside, I think that's a really interesting and salient point. And as we record this in early August of 2023, it's entirely possible that we could have a reprise of that of that particular president, right? I mean, yeah, it's not outside oh, the possibility. I really, I really fucking hope not. But yeah, yeah, and it reminds me also of how. Um, Berkeley breathed of uh, or breathed. I've never been sure about how to pronounce his last yeah, name. Neither have I. Yeah. The, bleathed, the creator, I believe, but breathed, bleathed, bleathed. Of a you know who created Bloom County came back. I think in 2015 in direct response to uh, the Trump campaign. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, Bloom County has been satirizing Trump back in the 80s, right? One of my mm-hmm. favorite stories from any comic book <laughs> is when Bill the Cat, who's an absolute moron, becomes the host body for Donald Trump's brain after he gets hit by a anchor from his own yacht, right? <laughs> Ed, are you okay? It is so good. That <laughs> is so good. It is. It just is the such a great storyline, yeah. Of just the panels of him trying to call Ivana to like, yeah. darling, listen, you can look past the hairballs. It's still me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but like these oh. these people had an ethos to their humor. It wasn't yeah. just what is going to sell in the paper, right? Like they had a point to it. And mm-hmm. so the return, even, even Bill Watterson, who has been famously retired since about, what, 1988, 89? Yeah, it was like yeah. 90, maybe. Maybe yeah. 90. Yeah. yeah. Like he even collaborated with with Berkeley on a few issues on, on a couple oh, comics yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. And if ever there's been a time that we needed more T-Rexes driving uh, F-16s, it's now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, definitely. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, this is a really an interesting and unfortunately salient point about, you know, absurdity, meaninglessness. And, you know, we just went through, we're still going through in some capacity, a, a pandemic that didn't have to be as bad as it was. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's historians just, are sitting there going, I told you so. Yeah. 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 Well, and even, even small age historians like me and Damien are like, like I literally, like you can go to my Facebook page. Like, and look up the posts. I told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, it is just wild as hell how traumatized we are. 
right? Mm-hmm. We haven't been through, what was it, the reign of terror, right, in France, right? But Or the years leading up to World War One. But for God's sake, a lot of us are searching for some kind of meaning, and we're having to grapple with the fact that intrinsic meaning is few and far between, if it exists at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I, I was talking to someone else about how we were talking about the matter of the divine and whether or not there's a God and all that kind of stuff. And and I said, you know, even if even if we believe that there is a deity somewhere above us that, that also gives a damn, which is mm-hmm. something of an assumption to make, that our connection with that divine is still human made on some level, right? right? Yeah. 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 And so whatever it is we choose to find meaning in is going to be a matter of how much effort we put into it. And God almighty, sometimes you're just tired. You know, I, <sighs> I like, I like that connection to divine because I, in many ways, I look at what Camus said. I look at what, you know, it, he's saying like Sisyphus is the model. And I look at the far side. I'm like, Aeneas is the model. Aeneas, the faithful. Mm-hmm. Aeneas who clung to meaning who, and it was self-made, but he, he wouldn't realize that. And yeah. he was faithful so much. And and we try to be as faithful as we can to things that give us comfort. And that absurdity is just like this self-revolting kind of sensibility. Like there's on some level, I mean, you and I have talked about this over, you know, a, a game of <laughs> I, I get a kick out of like, we'll play first person shooters together. And then we'll hear that people like don't want the, you know, the politicization of it. I'm like, bro, yeah, you <laughs> like, kidding me? But, it's, you know, it's, uh, all, it's all World War Two and Desert Storm fanfic. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you yeah. don't want politics. OK, yeah. Cardi B yeah. is the problem. Uh-huh. But but like we were talking about it and it was something along the lines of like, at some point, don't you know that you're opting into it? You know, it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. And if you pick. Any Gary Larson cartoon, I, I I challenge you to pick any Gary Larson cartoon, and he will take you to the middle of the River Styx, no matter how Aeneas you are, because mm-hmm. he grew up at a time where Sisyphus was the dominant paradigm. Mm-hmm. And we, okay. in our existential fear of having to actually make that choice and, and live that authenticity that he grew up with because the the nuclear annihilation was such a threat. Yeah. For us, it's always been a background threat. So we get away with, you know, these these unreal things happening that are really happening. And we get away with that separation. We will cling to that faithfulness, whereas he already started with the absurdity. Mm-hmm. And it looks like you did actually pick a cartoon. I, like, I did. I did, actually, because it, it, it came to mind in part because it is an example of the cultural resonance of the cartoon, as well as dealing with mortality and sort of thumbing your nose at it. And that is it's one that people may be familiar with, but it's a it's a oldie but a goodie. It's a caveman giving a PowerPoint presentation. Mm-hmm. Right to the with the stegosaurus <laughs> tail with the spikes on it, and he's talking to the crowd of other cavemen and says, "Now this end is called the Thagomizer right. after the late Thag Simmons." Thag. Right? <laughs> yeah, and that is the actual name of the spikes on the stegosaur on the stegosaurus tail yes. because of the Gary Larson cartoon. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you have you have this <laughs> making fun of a horrific and gruesome death that is obviously not historically accurate because dinosaurs and humans and the timeline and all that stuff. But either way, making fun of being impaled 
Right. Right. <laughs> giving yeah. the giving the cavemen surnames. Right. <laughs> and then even in universe, it sounds like a joke. Right. <laughs> and he's got a projector. He's a caveman yeah. with a projector. Yeah. With a projector. Yes. Yeah. There, yeah. There's yeah. your Plato right there, yeah. by the yeah. way. Oh, it's yeah. a screen with a very detailed yeah. image and they're still wearing like animal pelts in a very crude right. way and yeah. the thagomizer and and there were a bunch of nerds who were like <laughs> we're using that like that right. yeah. yeah and they took it yeah like yeah. unreality then became reality and it's just this it's like the only thing that's really different in some ways is that our nihilism is just less gleeful now yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> wow yeah Way to, of a birthmark, way, to, pal. way to put yeah. on it way, way to put a point on it there simmons nice yeah. job <laughs> by the way thag had to have been surprised because he discovered yeah. it right yeah, yeah so, that's true that's a good point so it's yeah. a surprise impalement yeah like, <laughs> as opposed to the anticipated impalement <laughs> right oh uh, yeah right so <clears throat> anyway uh, gary larson's sad and dis- depressing and he's back and it's good for us that it is yeah. Well, yeah, because well, we need some kind of a safety valve for the sake of our own mental health. Like, you know. Yeah. It's a little bit of Novocaine to take the edge off. That's yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So thank you for, for all of that, sure. Damien. That was, a, that was a great. And for anyone who's interested in learning more, you should know that this is a truncated version of the kind of show that Ed and Damien do. To, for this to be more in lockstep with them, we would need about four more parts of comparably <laughs> long episodes, uh, which is actually yeah. honestly, which is a part of, if I'm being honest, is part of the charm of it. So yeah. I still haven't watched y'all's or gone back and listened to y'all's zombies episodes. Cause, cause good day. Uh, Most uh, I do. I do a lot. I listen to a lot of stuff while I'm washing the dishes and sure. I don't have enough dishes like in the entirety <laughs> Wait of till Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's yeah. a, it's the cooking. It's yeah. the, it's the, you clean up afterwards as well. Anyway, but no. So in all seriousness, where can people find y'all if you want to be found? Uh, well, well you our, can find, yeah, go ahead. All right. <laughs> we collectively can be found on the internet at wubba 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 dot geekhistorytime.com. That is where you will be able to look through our entire archive of how many episodes now? Oh, we're up Damn. to over 220. Yeah. And as Damien likes to say, it's a buffet. Go through it, see what you might be, what, what catches your interest, and then go from there. And I can be found. Well, actually, first, hold on. We can also be found on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you find your podcasts and and give us give us a try wherever it is that you do. I can be found on Twitter for the time being. And no, I'm not going to call it X as <laughs> E.H. Blaylock. And I can be found, if you really want to look for me there, on TikTok as Mr. Blaylock. Mark Blaylock. It's the, the, the abbreviation of Mr. And Damien, where can they find you? Well, right now, Threads is probably the only place. I'm not really doing too much social media-wise lately. So mostly this podcast. My pun show is on a hiatus right now. Which, by the way, yes, I have a pun show. And and speaking of length, by the way, the UK has dubbed a type of pun after me because oh. if it's a pun that takes more than 400 words to get to a very disappointing <laughs> ending, it is called the Damien Harmony pun. It, you could just do a Google search on No, don't do that. Do not, do not Google search that unless you promise to read the entire article. 
but um, yeah, you can you can mostly we're going to edit this in post, right? You can find me at, on threads at Duh Harmony. And if you really want to see pictures of me for some weird reason on, on Insta under the same. So. All right, cool. All right, folks, thanks for stopping by the office. As always, you can find me on uh, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm not calling it X, you're right. And it's a stupid, stupid name for a stupid, stupid person. At Cruz underscore PhD. You can also find me on here. You can email your hate or fan mail to GACruzPhD. Barry loves reading those. And uh, yeah, share us with your friends and enemies. Play us during awkward dinner conversations and important moments in your life. You know, you know what is a real letdown is that sort of solemnity after your first child's been born and there's just like man what do you do now play us all right fill the void don't sit with your feelings for too long anyway <laughs> you're not gonna so, sleep you're not listen you're, you're not gonna for years yeah mm, you ain't gonna sleep so you might as well learn some shit anyway <laughs> all right well we'll see y'all next week in the office catch you later